We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everyone, welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture. Today, my guest is Chris Axelrad. Chris is a, an acupuncturist in Houston, Texas. He focuses on, on endocrinological, oh God, I hate saying that word, endocrinological disorders, and uh, works a lot with fertility and uh, men's fertility as well. He's got a really interesting background. He's trained as a jazz percussionist and then somehow wandered his way into high tech and then got into acupuncture and Chinese medicine. So it just goes to show you that you don't have to just be thinking about medicine to be able to practice medicine. And I'm really happy to have you here on the show today, Chris. Welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So I just have to start with this question. How does a jazz percussionist end up a Chinese medicine practitioner? Interesting question. I get asked this all the time by patients. They're always curious about my story and Really what it boils down to is when I, when I graduated high school and decided to go study music, uh, I went to North Texas, which is a very well-known jazz school, music college in particular, but then especially for jazz. And of course, I started meeting all these people that, you know, very open-minded people, um, learning a lot of things about a lot of stuff that I wasn't exposed to when I was younger. Um, and one of those things was yoga. And I started practicing yoga, started reading tons and tons of books on natural healing and in particular mind-body type stuff, meditation and energy healing and things like that, which just fascinated me. And really, you know, in hindsight, now what I realize is that, you know, I went, I went away to music school to really discover what I, you know, I thought I, w- I wanted to be a musician, but... I went to music school to really discover what my true purpose in life was, and that was to be a healer, and that sort of dovetailed. So, so really from the time that I was in college and I was learning all these things about healing and reading all these books, that carried through all the way until my late 20s. Uh, 
And even though I was doing all these other things, playing music and doing software, in the background, that was sort of my secret passion. And then when I turned 29, you know, at the time you turn 29, you think, oh, man, I'm getting old, you know? Yeah, man. Like, oh, my God. I only got so much time left. I better hurry up and, you know, do my what I'm going to do, which I'm glad I felt that way because it really spurred me to shift and to to follow my passion. And there's an acupuncture school here in Houston, um, which I didn't know about up until that point. And when I found out it existed, I was like, man, you know, I'm just going to go take a couple of classes and uh, see what it's like. And you know, here I am. Um, that was 1999, and so here I am, 16 years later. And uh, I've been in practice for 12 years, and have two offices. I'm looking at opening a third office, and just loving life, and you know, really feel like this is what I was put on planet Earth to do. So, you know, isn't that in, it's so interesting? I've I've seen this too. I, I see this with patients as they go through their own healing process. A lot of times as well, you think you're headed in one direction. And, and you're doing all the right moves, and you're moving along. And at a certain point, this other information comes in, or you recognize that there's a bigger picture here than the picture that I've been seeing. And uh, it can really remarkably shift the path that you're on. Absolutely, you know. Uh, uh, and I really think that, you know, one of the things Chinese medicine is really big on is is this concept of destiny and mm. the concept of, you know, what we call the original chi, which is the chi that you get with, and actually the the Chinese expression for original chi, which I'm sorry at this moment, I can't remember the Chinese for it. There's a couple of them. It's, it's probably yuan chi. Well, yuan chi, yes. But there's another expression for original chi, which translates to before the baby sees the sky chi which means that you, this is the chi that you get before you're born. Right. And it's a very it's a very special kind of energy that really sets your destiny. You know, that's something that you can't change and and I think something that uh what we now call genetics is kind of that same concept in a little in a in a sort of way. Also who your parents are. I think in you know the Chinese medicine concept and really the Taoist concept is that we have a somewhat of a role in choosing that as a, as a spirit, so that we can have the kinds of experiences that will help us to reach our destiny. So even all the suffering, the pain, and all the even and the good things and the and the wonderful things about our family lives were really things that we chose to help mold us into the people we are now. Yeah, I, t- I truly believe that. So, yeah, I mean, there's this destiny behind every person that comes into the clinic. And, and I make sure as a clinician that I understand that, that, you know, people walk in with their own destiny, their own uh, challenges that I they don't even know they're having or that they can't even express to me. So I just do my best to help them with, you know, where they're at and get them to where they think they want to be. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes where they think they want to be and then where they end up is different. Um, maybe they came in and they, they were tired and they were having migraines. Um, and then through their healing process, they realize that they hate their job and they just need to quit their job. Uh, nice. And, you know, they make a life change or, you know, they, uh, 
just all kinds of things. Or, or they're having difficulties with a, re- a family member, re- a relationship with a family member. They don't really realize that. They don't tell me anything about that. But then through the process of working with them, they start to talk about it. And then that relationship gets resolved and suddenly they're better. I've seen patients too, sometimes as things begin to shift for them, they start noticing all these other qualities in their family members and friends that they hadn't seen before. Yeah. It's like their eyes are open to a new perspective. You know, perspective is everything. Perspective is really, I teach my patients this all the time, you know, the story, and this gets into endocrinology, by the way, because one of the um, core principles of, of how I practice and what I believe and what I see in clinic is that our hormones are, are really a refle- simply a reflection of the stories that we're telling ourselves all the time. Because hormones are our body's primary system to drive physiology to, to change. And why would physiology change? Physiology, physiology changes in order to adapt, in order to um, respond to, inv- to the environment in a way that is appropriate for what we're perceiving. And, you know, the, the key there is perceiving because, you know, two people can see the exact same situation and perceive, one person may perceive that it's this horrible thing, the other person may perceive that it's this amazing opportunity. And really, what's the difference? The difference is that those people are telling themselves different stories. Right. And they will have different reactions endocrinologically, physiologically, and neurotransmitter-wise and everything. Yeah, but I think the, you know, the core, this is what fascinates me so much about hormones and endocrinology is that the core, really the core of all those responses, when you talk about the nervous system, you talk about the... um, neurotransmitters, the enzymes, the digestive system, all of these systems, circulatory system. To me, if you trace back to the most core physical change, the most core chemical change, uh, it starts with a hormonal, hormonal pulse of some kind. And then that's what kicks off the rest of the cascade, if you will. And then what's behind that hormonal pulse? Well, that's you know, we get into epigenetics a little bit. You know, we get into a lot of the different things that are emerging now from science, but that Chinese medicine has been talking about since the very first printed book, The Yellow Emperor's Classic, talks about the correlations of emotions to physiology, the emotions to physical organs, emotions and spirits to different states of health and disease. And so I think that really what our most important thing we can do in any situation of healing and especially for hormonal healing is to really understand the stories that we're telling ourselves now this is this is really yeah i'm with you on the stories piece um i've seen that both in my patients and and more importantly in myself after picking up a meditative practice the thing that that my patients often come in with when they've got some sort of hormonal thing going on is they see it simply as there's this chemical tide, there's, there's an excess or there's a deficiency, so their doctors have them on this you know, supplemental uh, material or, you know, or something like that. But, they, but rarely will anybody look into what am I doing in my life or not doing in my life for that matter 
to influence this chemical tide. It, it sounds like you've got your finger on a pulse here. Yeah, I think, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, again, if we really, really pay attention to the classics of Chinese medicine and we really look at this concept that very early on, way before I went to acupuncture school. So, again, I was, you know, really just fascinated by the Taoist and the Chinese medical physiology and cosmology as well as something called Qigong, which is the energy. It's sort of like the yoga of Taoism um, where, you know, there's physical exercise involved. There's and, and by the way, yoga, as we know it today in the United States, which is primarily a physical exercise, yoga is actually an eight-step system. And the the and I'm not – first of all, I, I just want to say this. I have nothing – I think it's a great that so many people are doing yoga. And I don't want anybody who's listening to this – when I say this, to think that I'm trying to diminish physical ahatha yoga, essentially, or hot yoga or any of the physical yogas. But the important thing to remember is that that's one step in an entire system. And really, in the original system of yoga, you, you didn't spend that much time. You spent enough time on the, the asanas to stretch your body to be able to then sit in meditation for like days at a time because it took a lot of strength to sit still like that and to not have pain and to not have discomfort. So, But Qigong is, is I was fascinated by that. And the, the bottom line, though, is that the three treasures in Chinese medicine, the three treasures of Taoism are what we call Jing, Qi, and Shen, and really it's the opposite order, Shen, Qi, Jing. Shen is spirit or if we want to call it consciousness, and Qi is that energy or the functional the functional decisions in a way that the body is making, and Jing is the actual physical tissue and the chemicals, the hormones, and the things that we can see and touch that have these very special I mean, they're very precious, you know, muscle tissue, uh, brain tissue, liver tissue. These are precious, precious things that, if they're damaged, can sometimes never return. So, if we really pay attention to that, then we we start the, the, the three treasures concept basically states that Shen is what guides the Qi. So, spirit is what guides the function. And then the Qi, the function, is what guides the tissue. So that's what I say when I say perception and stories, that's Shen. That's where we're really perceiving and creating our story about our reality. And that is then what will change the function of the body. And then the, the function of, of the functional decisions that the body's making will then make it, you know, have more or less of a certain hormone. You know, I mean, I could sit you in a movie theater with a suspenseful movie and hook you up to all the EKGs and blood tests and things like that. And even though the movie is not real, the perception that you get, and especially if it's a good story, you really, that suspension of disbelief where you invest yourself in that story and the perceptions and the stories that are going on, you're going to have dramatic, dramatic physiological changes just based on that. There's no drug involved. There's no herb or supplement or anything. It's just your body doing that. And that's the most powerful, most direct 
in, in my opinion, influencer of healing. And when we talk about healing, we have to make sure we understand. When I say healing, I'm not saying that, for instance, you mentioned hormones and medications. When people take thyroid medication, you know, because they go in and they get a blood test and it says their TSH is elevated, so the doctor puts, and that's really essentially the entire science of thyroid medicine for the most part in the 21st century at this point is you look at one number which is TSH you give someone Synthroid and then the number comes down and then you're done that that's that's it now does the person feel better maybe I see a lot of people in my clinic who don't feel better well I do as well that's yeah I do as well that's part of the reason I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you. Of course, we have to keep in mind that you and I and practitioners like us, we see a very skewed population. We see the people where the usual thing didn't work. Correct. So, but but given that, I, I think it is also very powerful what you're saying here in terms of there's one number that conventional medicine's looking at. You get to that number and you go, job done. And I think it's tough for a lot of our patients because they're going, you know what, the job isn't done. And that's what I mean when I say healing. So healing is different from fixing. Um, Not to say that fixing isn't good. So for instance, I mean, like I always say, one of the things that I always say is that being well is not not being sick. So if you're not sick, doesn't mean that you're well. Mm. Not sick means that you don't have an illness that you need to go get medicine for. Being well is different. Being well is you're resilient. You're responding to the stresses of life in a healthy way. You're not getting sick all the time. Um, even if you do have a chronic illness, you're managing it in a way that is um, positive, that, that, that enhances, dramatically enhances the quality of your life. So, so the, the whole example I was trying to make was that you know, healing is something to me that is about wholeness, and wholeness starts with spirit. So even if you fix the hormones, if, if, if there's still a lot of issues going on within the spiritual, emotional, psycho-emotional realm, it's still going to skew the function. So you're coming, imagine that you have, I guess a good example would be, you have a river flowing very rapidly and you try to dam up the river. Well, the the river has a certain flow to it and the dam is like your attempt to change the flow of the river. But that flow, that energy, the river still wants to go downhill. Now, if you give someone a thyroid medication who is having thyroid problems and then that gets their thyroid numbers to normal, that's great, of course. But there's every other body system in their body is still has that energy going in the same direction that it was going. So you fix the thyroid, but the rest of the system is still flowing in that same direction. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have, you haven't actually adjusted the entire system. You've taken care of, you've ostensibly normalized one portion, but can you really normalize one portion without touching the other, the other systems that are involved? No, absolutely not. And yeah. endocrinology is so insanely complicated, and some of the smartest, most brilliant medical minds on earth uh, can't figure it out. And, um, and and to me, that's the X factor. The X factor is the emotions. And you know, the thing is that 
uh, science is starting to acknowledge this. Science is starting to prove this. And of course, it takes many, many years for these kinds of concepts to trickle, trickle their way into conventional uh, medicine and conventional thought. But science is really, truly starting to notice and be able to document different emotional states and their influence on the endocrinology of the body. And the bottom line is that in, in my clinic in particular, I really do an integrative work in the sense that I, I don't consider myself a therapist by any stretch, but, but knowing the things I know about Qigong, knowing the things I know about mind-body medicine, I'm always looking for opportunities to have conversations with my patients. And, you know, one of the things that, always, that happens a lot here in my clinic is patients will be saying to me something like, like I have a perfect example of this. Mm. Uh, last week, it's, you know, this Thanksgiving was just last week. So I had a patient come in on Monday and she has had a lot of hormonal problems, a lot of pelvic pain, irregular cycles. And, and we've kind of gone in and out of, of her getting better um, and then re- regressing. But she came in for Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving, she's like, oh, I'm just so stressed. I just, I just don't want to see my family. And, you know, it's always stressful. And, uh, you know, she, that's her story, right? And mm-hmm. so she's telling me her story. So I, I just looked at her. I said, why, are you t- why, why is that your story? Why are you choosing to just get yourself all worked up with that story? So, well, that's because, you know, my, my family is like, no, 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 no. No, you are choosing to tell yourself this story about, Thanksgiving, and it's just going to make it so that when you get there, it's just that much more likely that you're going to live out that story. I said, I want you to do an experiment and do this for the next three days leading up to Thanksgiving. Every day, I want you to sit down for five or ten minutes, or even just throughout your days, you're going through your day. Every time you you catch yourself in that negative, fearful story about Thanksgiving, I want you to just shift your story to one of positivity, that everything's fine, you're happy, you're having a good time, the people who annoy you aren't annoying you, the people who you like, you're having great conversations with, and just focus on a story like that. Create the happiest possible story you can. She's like, okay. It's like she kind of got it, like what I was trying to tell her. She came back yesterday, and she and the first thing she said when she walked in and sat down, she, goes, she was like, oh, my God, the thing you told me to do, it totally worked. I had a great time at Thanksgiving, and I didn't overeat, and blah, 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 blah. So you see, she now she gets it. She's like, and then she said, and you know what? I'm going to use that in a lot of other things in my life, too. And I'm like, you get it. Yep, there now it is. you get it. And you know what? She's going to have, now she's going to heal because she's going to start changing the stories. So whereas before, what we were trying to do, again, is put the damn, so the the supplements, the herbs, the acupuncture is all a part of getting is is all a part of helping the body shift and it's all a part of helping the body to make that transition from where she is to where she could be. But now that she's got a handle on her stories and she's got a handle on that energy of spirit and what that's doing, it's just going now now the possibility exists for what in my opinion, is really healing, not just feeling better. Although feeling better is amazing, but now it's like we're talking about changing her life. 
I'm thinking about people that might be listening to this interview. Yeah. And maybe getting the idea that, oh, so I just need to think a different way, or I just need to think myself out of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's so hard for us to change the way that we think. In fact, I think most of us aren't even aware of all the entanglements that, that keep us thinking or believing or perceiving in, in our habituated ways. Sounds like you've done quite a bit of work with this one patient. And so she got to sort of a tipping point where she could inhabit this kind of healing for those folks. Let's, let's just say you're, I'm going to say garden variety, usually woman with a thyroid issue who comes into your office how would you start with this person? I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, again, for our listeners who might not be familiar with the work we do, what would they expect if they came to see someone like you in terms of how treatment starts out and things that you might do and, and how you would approach this? Sure. So the first step with, with me is people come in. I, I do a free consultation so they can just come in and talk to me for 10 or 15 minutes and tell me about their case, tell me about their situation. I get to hear you know, their primary symptoms, their concerns, their frustrations about what's going on. I get to read through their medical history. And then if uh, everything lines up and they don't need more medical testing or things like that, I'll be able to, we'll go ahead and get started, which would be the next appointment. And that's where we really get started. I dig into their medical history, go over their symptoms, and then we come up with a treatment plan. The treatment plan would be, you know, usually I see, I initially see people once a week. I see about 80 to 100 people a week, and that's once a week. So it's tough for me to see people twice a week. I know a lot of acupuncturists do twice a week, but I do once a week, and then we'll look at key supplements uh, and herbal compounds that may help with their particular situation. That's always customized. The idea is that strength breeds strength. So when people come in, you know, mainly we're going to try to work on the physical level. I mean, get their physical strength together. And a lot of times, you know, like the healing that I'm talking about, it, like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be so directly discussed with, with my patient. When people start to feel stronger and they start to feel more alive and they start to feel more balanced, they'll start to figure out a lot of stuff on their own mm-hmm. about some of the things in their life that isn't working anymore. But I, I think the bottom line is that no matter every every pathology, every disease pattern has roots in the way someone is living, and that 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 either is the way they're eating, or the way the the way they're exercising. If they're exercising too much, or they're not exercising enough, um, how they're thinking every day, their attitude. You know, um, are they getting enough sleep? Do they feel like they have to work? 60 hours a week to get their job done and they're staying up super late every night on the computer. I mean, all these things are going to influence health. And so in a holistic setting like what I, in my office, you know, it's holistic medicine, which means everything's on the table. Um, That being said, we're not going to like try to, you know, rearrange someone's entire life on the first visit. We, We definitely focus on the first, you know, what's the first step? We're going to take baby steps. And my my method really is to try to have someone feeling better as quickly as possible. So if someone comes in with a thyroid issue and their main complaint is they feel bloated all the time, 
which is they may not have fatigue. They may not have a lot of, um, let's say, you know, uh, classic thyroid symptoms. And, and, and most of the time they're already on thyroid medicine. And the fact that they're not feeling better is what's frustrating them because, you know, they, they were told that, that they had low thyroid. They were put on this thyroid medicine. Maybe some things got better, but they still can't gain, uh, still can't lose weight or their energy is just not quite where they want it to be. Or, uh, you know, they always feel like they're retaining water. These are things that they were expecting to go away. So we're able to then get those things going for them. So a lot of times they'll come back after their very first visit the very next week and say, man, my energy's already a lot better. And boom, that is what then gets them going. Okay, so there's definitely more to this than just the thyroid pill, right? And um, yeah, and so, or if they've, or if they feel really bloated and they're, they're retaining a lot of water and they notice within the first week, oh, wow, you know, I'm already noticing like my feet aren't swelling, uh, you know, in the afternoons. Like maybe they were having their feet swelling every day in the afternoons and even having some pain or something like that in their legs and that's gone. So now they know, wow, okay, something's going on here. And, and then that gives, that opens the door f- for more discussions down the road if they want to go there. But like I said, a lot of times, like as soon as they have more energy and they feel better, they realize, like that patient I just told you with her story, they're like, man, you know, this works. I'm going to be doing more of this, you know? I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the show. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. That would be you. Actually, You could indeed sponsor a show here for a nominal fee and have your billboard on the internet sandwiched into the show. Send along an email for details on that. Or you could support the effort here by popping over to everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and click on the link to support the show and leave a few dollars that will help to keep some inspiration in the teacup. You know, we run on only the finest oolong and poorer teas here at Everyday Acupuncture Podcast Central. No point in going all NPR pledge drive here to remind you that teas like that don't come cheaply. Just know that if you like the show, you can express your appreciation for these interviews with a small donation. As always, I love to get your feedback and ideas for future shows, so send those along too. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the second half of the show. So when you first start seeing people, you see them once a week. How long do you do that for? Usually, depends on the situation. So if someone comes in, and, for instance, I, I do a lot of reproductive and fertility. That situation, I might see someone once a week for 12, 16, 18 weeks, sometimes more. It just depends because, you know, fertility is a little bit tricky in that, you know, I can get – getting someone feeling better is, at this point for me – pretty easy. I would say 90% of the time someone comes in and they don't feel well, they'll feel better after working with me for a few weeks. With someone who comes in with fertility issues, they're they're not feeling, maybe they're not feeling well, maybe they're feeling fine. It's a little more of an ambiguous thing, but we're just trying to regulate their cycle. So in those cases, you, people might see me for a little while. For hormonal type situations like this, typically it would be weekly for like 6 to 12 weeks. And then making sure that they're really feeling stable and they're feeling good and that they're maintaining the changes they want to make. Then we'll, we can go down to every other week for a few times and then monthly for a couple times and then that's it. You know, I don't, I don't keep people coming 
forever and ever and ever. The key is that our bodies, just like nature, our bodies are nature. So, you know, just like we see in nature, once a pattern gets established, it tends to stay in that pattern. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? And in fact, sometimes our work, it seems to me, is disrupting certain patterns so that other more productive or more balanced patterns can begin to take root. Absolutely. And I think when, you know, in terms of Chinese medicine, we do talk about energy, qi, and I really don't ever, I almost never talk to my patients about the Chinese medicine behind what I'm doing. I always try to keep things in plain English, but, and and one of those plain English things is I will tell them, look, you know, your body's kind of in a certain habit or pattern. It's going in a certain direction and its tendency is just to keep going in that direction because, the survival instinct in our body will always take a known, you know, a known status quo that that is alive, even if it's unpleasant, versus, you know, changing and potentially disrupting that. I think that our bodies always want to heal, but at the same time, there's a mechanism within our bodies that that's designed to keep us in a state of what we would call homeostasis, and homeostasis sometimes isn't healthy. The homeostasis of meaning staying in the same place physiologically sometimes is not healthy. But what we have to do is take someone from point A and then help facilitate change so that their body will open up and begin to heal. Because the body is what does all the healing, you know. The body knows exactly what to do. The body has the blueprint. It's an insanely intelligent extension of our shen. It's an extension of our spirit. It's an extension of our core self. So it's insanely intelligent, knows exactly what it needs to do to heal. But uh, most people who are having health issues just don't understand the things they need to do to kind of help unhinder that or unblock that, you know. And that's what's the, the amazing thing to me about Chinese medicine. And you know this Michael, is that the whole premise of Chinese medicine is what? The qi flows in a certain way and all illness is based on blockage of qi. Mm -hmm. In other words, when the qi stops flowing where it's supposed to flow. Well, to me, that's such a, you know, it seems so simple. And of course, when we're taught in school, it's this very simplistic thought process that we get taught. But when you really think about the the ramifications of what they're saying. Essentially what they're saying is that your body, your physiology has a natural flow. It has a natural way and it knows how to be in balance. And when things get in the way of that, that's what disease that's what brings up disease. So something like a diet that has too much sugar, that could be that is going to get in the way of what our body's natural healing capacity wants to do. Um, a life, yeah, a lifestyle that's too sedentary, that's going to get in the way because the body needs movement. We need to stretch. The fascia needs to articulate. The, you know, the organs need to be shaken up. Things like that. That things that exercise does for our body. Um, you know, those things will block our body's natural healing process, which is always there. So the chi is always there. It's always there. Right. It's just a matter of can it function or are we getting in the way? Yeah. So you, you bring up 
a really interesting point here, and I'm I'm a little surprised at the direction this conversation's gone. It's it it's really interesting. I'm having a good time with it. I I hope our listeners are enjoying this too. But you bring up this this thing about homeostasis, which in some ways is really good, right? A certain regularity to life is is very essential. If things are chaotic, we know that makes a big mess. On one hand, our bodies are amazingly intelligent. You know, they've got all the solutions of our ancestors baked into them. On the other hand, we can sort of go sideways, right? If we get addicted to sugar, now we're causing problems for our metabolism. Uh, You know, if we don't do the right kind of movement, too much or not enough, or movement that actually injures us, we can habituate ourselves to things that aren't necessarily so good for us. And because, as, as you said, there's this status quo aspect of us that goes, I like stability, I like regularity, right? Even if the status quo isn't helping, there's an aspect of the status quo that gives us a sense of security, I guess is the way I'd say it. So this brings up for me the issue of disruption because while we try to be gentle with our treatments, while we would love to see our patients go from some sort of imbalance into a state of, of healing and balance, let's face it. There are some things in life that get ingrained, and they don't let loose all that easily. Often, I will see changes that people make in their lives that, that affect everything from how they're sleeping to how they're pooping to how they're getting along with others only comes about after a period of disruption where these patterns that have been in place kind of fall apart. Yeah, crisis. Mm-hmm. And most people don't really like that, that crisis moment or that disruption or that. I mean, we will do so much to not fall apart. Sometimes much to our detriment, we desperately need to fall apart. You know, I think it's, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I do believe, you know, it's, it, when you're talking about hormones especially, you know, this is where – like I was saying, you know, the hormones are kind of, in my opinion, the core bridge between mind and body. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, you, you have a scary thought. The first thing that's, or, or you, you have, yeah, a scary thought, a scary story going in your head about the future. Um, you know, I'm going to lose my job, or, or oh my gosh, you know, um, I don't know, my my kid's not going to finish college, and he's going to be. Uh, you know, a bum on the street. I mean, these are whatever. I'm just right. making this up. But or living in my basement. Yeah, or, yeah, living in my basement exactly. So the point is, is that you know these are scary stories that go on subconsciously, that then come out as tension in our bodies, hormone, and, and those that tension is driven by hormones. Um, it's driven by cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine. And then, of course, you can get into these other issues. So, so just to follow this train of thought, continual scary stories going on in your head or, or angry stories or whatever, and it's driving this chronic elevation of cortisol, these chronic elevations of norepinephrine, chronic elevations of adrenaline. Now what happens is your blood sugar begins to be destabilized because all of those hormones interface with your your blood sugar system. And your blood sugar system is controlled by not only your pancreas but your liver. It's controlled in your muscle cells. And the hormonal effects of that will then cascade out. Your insulin starts to become 
maybe elevated chronically. That then starts to affect reproductive function, may lead to increased fat storage, may also insulin has dramatic, all those hormones I just mentioned have dramatic effects on the brain. So you can actually have changes in the brain that are, that will affect mood. You can also then start to have cardiovascular changes. You know, cardiovascular disease, in my opinion, in many, many cases, cardiovascular disease is directly related to a chronic undertone of frustration, anger, resentment. And why is that? Because those emotions will ramp, ramp up adrenaline because anger, frustration, and resentment are emotions that are designed by nature to, to promote aggression. And there are, there are situations where it's appropriate for us to react with aggression. Like, for instance, if we're being chased by a lion or a lion is attacking us, we have to be very aggressive. That's a very natural situation where all those hormones are going to cascade out and we're going to get a superhuman strength and we're going to ha- fight for our lives. Well, there's a spectrum there. It's not just all or nothing. And I think that people who carry a lot of anger and carry a lot of fear and carry a lot of these emotions around with them through life are on a spectrum where they have those chemicals on a low-grade dose going all the time that's just, you know, again, it's just continually influencing their biology. It's like if I, it's like a person who does construction work and is constantly lifting heavy objects every day, day in and day out for years and years and years. They're going to have a very well-developed upper body. They're going to have very good arm strength, probably really strong grip. Well, guess what? You know, physiologically, biologically in our bodies, if we're carrying emotions around on a day-to-day basis for 20, 30 years, it changes the biology, the heart muscle being exposed to all those extra levels of epinephrine and adrenaline is going to change. The liver being exposed to all that extra sugar and all the demand for glycogen storage and other things is going to change. The brain is going to change. So these are things that happen over many years, but it's all driven by hormones, and the hormones are driven by emotion and story. Right. So this is great. I want to touch in on something here. I have lots of patients come in, well, in in particular, women, menopausal women, or women that have issues with their periods, and and they'll talk about how their emotions are out of control, They've, they've got all this stuff going on. And they'll say something to the effect of, I need to get my hormones regulated so that these emotions yeah. will stop being so bothersome. And what I hear you saying, and, and, this is, and this is deeply embedded in Chinese medicine thinking, you know, that goes way back, like you mentioned, all the way to the Neijing, you know, and throughout centuries of people observing how things work. We are not disconnected from the environment. We are not disconnected from our emotions. Everything's connected to everything. And so it's not necessarily the hormones driving the emotions. Our emotions can drive our internal pharmacology. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's important to remember hormones can drive emotions. So if I give you high doses of, you know, as a man, if I give you high doses of testosterone, you may end up feeling more aggressive, Mm. okay? But... Right, or you give somebody, you know, prednisone and they'll they'll get pretty hyper, you know? Yeah, hyper, potentially depressed after a certain period of time because of this, what that 
extra cortisol does to the serotonin system. But the bottom line is that, in my opinion, hormonal shifts, especially during a, a, a menstrual cycle, so during a fertility cycle or a menstrual cycle, the, in fact, you know, a, a woman, from the time she hits puberty and has her first cycle until she is in officially in menopause, which menopause, by the way, means you're not having periods anymore. So uh, having the hot flashes and all of that while you're still having periods, maybe irregular periods, that's perimenopause. Excuse me, menopause is the actual stoppage of the period. So, But those hormonal shifts, the emotions that are going on there those are real emotions. Those are emotions, yes, they're being, let's say, uncovered during a hormonal transition. They're more raw. Because again, we talk about that homeostasis. So you can almost think of a period, like right before a woman's period starts, progesterone and estrogen just fall off a cliff. Okay? And that's what triggers the period, this very rapid and very aggressive shift in hormones of progesterone and estrogen that then causes the the lining to shed. So that is, in a sense, a mini crisis. Mm -hmm. That's, in a sense, a, a mini, you said, disruption away from a homeostasis. During those disruptions... The emotions, your your emotional themes are going to be exposed. So people who have a lot of sadness prior to their period, I always, in, instead of when they come in and they say, hey, I always get real hormonal. I'm just feeling all hormonal and I'm, and I'm, I'm just so sad and I'm crying. My, my response, if they're not taking hormones, now I see a lot of fertility patients that are doing fertility treatments and they're taking high doses of estrogen or something like that and they say that they're feeling a little weepy or emotional. That's different. But if someone comes in and they say, I tend to feel really, really angry right around ovulation or I tend to feel really, really weepy with my period, I'll always ask them, I'll say, well, what are you sad about? What are you angry about? Because the things that are making you angry at that time or the things that you're sad about that time, you're probably sad about that all the time, but subconsciously. So it's sort of underwater, and when the tide goes out, so to speak, yeah, these things show up. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a wonderful analogy. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that one in mind. I like that. So, yeah, the tide goes out, and then you can see all the shells and the things that were there, <laughs> and the tide comes back in, right? Right. Or maybe the, uh, the jellyfish or the sharks. Um, but um, Or the old refrigerators that someone threw away. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Perfect. So, but you know, the thing is, is that during those, during those transitions, there's an, there's an amazing opportunity to learn about yourself and to learn about what are the things, because really during those times, you're going to find out, you have the chance to really find out what your deeper issues are that are keeping you from healing on a larger scale. And the other thing is, you know, when, when you take hormones to try to uh, regulate that. Um, it is, in my opinion, the same thing. And this might be a little controversial, but you know, a little controversy never hurts. I mean, the bottom line is taking hormones to regulate the emotions is a lot like drinking wine. 
to regulate the emotions. You're trying to numb the emotion. And again, I'm not judging whether that's the right or wrong thing for any one person. Every person's got to make their own medical decision. And you know what? There's really no right or wrong. It's what works for you. Right. And there's and, the, and there's the windy path we take that, you know, I mean, do you ever notice that there's no straight lines in nature and there's no straight lines in healing? I mean, it is often yes. such a circuitous process. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that I always refer to just internally is that, yeah, the no straight lines in nature. You can always tell that there's been a person around if there's a road or some type of something that's straight. Because if you look at anything in nature, nothing is straight line. And the bottom line, though, is that if, if you know, taking hormones to balance out emotions certainly is one way to do it. And everybody has to make their decision. So I'm not saying that's the wrong decision, but what I am saying is that's not actually healing the emotion. And the pattern that is feeding those emotional states. Okay, so here's the difference between what the kind of healing I'm talking about versus taking hormones. The kind of healing I'm talking about, you don't take the hormones or you take them only for a certain amount of time to stabilize, but then you do the work to find out what's going on in your life, how, what, what is it about how you're living that is putting you in those situations where those emotions are becoming unmanageable. And you deal with that. And it could be changing your diet. It could be exercising more. It could be understanding a, a different perspective on a relationship you have with somebody. It could be really acknowledging that you hate your job and that you really want to be doing something else with your life. I mean, it spans everything. But by dealing with that, then you don't have the problem anymore. If you take the hormones to cover it up and you don't look at how am I eating, what is my job doing to me, do I have an issue in a relationship that I need to smooth out, am I not exercising enough, but you just take the hormone, what's going to happen as soon as you stop taking the hormone? You're going to be right back where you started. See, so you didn't heal. The hormone was just, like I said, a numbing agent or a band-aid. Again, sometimes we need those. We need a Band-Aid to get through a difficult time. So, you know, people going through divorce, people going through very difficult crisis in their life, maybe you need to take medications, hormones, antidepressants, whatever, because it's just necessary and there's nothing wrong with that. I want to make sure I point that out. I am not on a soapbox with this opinion that taking hormones and taking antidepressants, these other things, is inherently evil. It's not. But it's important to understand what you're doing. I really think it's important to just have awareness of what it is that that is. It is a fix. It is a temporary fix. Right. It's not a solution for life. It doesn't get you off the hook mm -hmm. to really look at the core issue and try to address the core issue. That's all I want to say. I have nothing against people taking hormones. I never tell my patients to stop taking hormones. What I tell them is we're going to get you feeling better, and if you want to, you can start to come off your hormones. And a lot of times when they come to me, they do want to get off their hormones. That's one of the reasons they're coming to me. Well, and I, I think a lot of times people are coming to us as well because they're looking for that resi resiliency that you were talking about earlier. Because with that resiliency, you can kind of do the work that you need to do. You can make the changes that you need to make. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Strength breeds strength. Strength breeds strength. That's great. I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to use that term in clinic this afternoon. I'm sure I'll have an opportunity for it to come out. Yeah. And I'm going to use the ebb and flow and the, you know, tide goes out and boy, what are we looking at over here now? You know? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me. And you make the point really well that, that healing and curing are two really different things. Or healing and controlling, for that matter. I mean, sometimes we're just trying to, you know, hold on for dear life and, and you know, get through the week. And other times we want to really steer the ship in a different direction. And there's a place for all of it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Medication has its place. You know, we are nature and we created medication. So guess what? That's part of nature, too. <laughs> You know, there's not this dividing, that's not, the way I see it is there's not this big dividing line between, I mean, it's all nature. It's all nature, you know. We, we arose out of nature and we are creating all of these things by being nature. So to me, like taking a tranquilizer, now it's the difference between taking one and abusing one, right? Mm, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, right? That's the difference. You know, taking morphine because your pain is so intense that it's just, complete, you know, destroying you versus abusing morphine to escape from some other type of emotional pain or whatever. Two totally different things. They both have their – well, the one, the abuse doesn't really have its place. I think at some point that that's always destructive. But any medication has its place. It's just – it's a tool. And if it's used correctly – and used in an appropriate way, it can be amazingly beneficial and amazingly healing. You know, antibiotics, steroids, antidepressants, um, immunosuppressants for autoimmune disease, all of those can be amazingly helpful. And then if you add to that the natural things of really strengthening your body and strengthening nature and taking care of yourself, you give yourself the chance to possibly if you want to take less less of those medications. Yeah. Well, in in this conversation with you today, I am I am struck again. You know, it's funny, sometimes I'll I'll kind of get an idea or or see certain kinds of connections and then I forget that I've ever seen it until a conversation comes around like this one. So what you've reminded me of today is that when it comes to the endocrinological system and our emotional system our stories, all that stuff. It's actually a two-way street. It's not just that one controls the other, but they both control each other. Yeah, everything's a two-way street. It's all a two-way street. And I think so often it's easy to think, no, it's a one-way street. We take care of A, A will take care of B. But it is a two-way street. And I think just keeping that in mind even if we're not sure the, the direction of the flow or how to intervene, just keeping that in mind, knowing it's a two-way street, it opens up a lot of options. Yeah, it does, absolutely. I, th I think the main thing to understand, Michael, is this, in my opinion, and I always like to say that in my opinion, because, you know, like you said, no, no one really knows what the heck's going on. I mean, we're, trying, we're doing our best, and we've got science has done an amazing job of, of trying to isolate and understand the interactions of a lot of things and have repeatable results with a lot of these things. But at the end of the day, you know, we're really still just doing the best we can with the information we're able to gather. But let me just say this. It is a two-way street. 
Jing, that whole concept of the three treasures, Shen, Qi, Jing, the spirit, the mind and emotions, and then the body, they're all interconnected. They're all one thing. And they and certainly eating a certain way, which would be something you're doing physically, can really destroy your mood and make it more difficult for you to express yourself. But I just want to make sure that I say one thing that I think is very, very critical and that I truly believe is that spirit trumps all. You know, if you get yourself in alignment with the story that you are a healer, that you are strong, that you have a purpose, that you are able to do great things, and that you want to become that, that comes from spirit. And that will always, always be the primary driver of if you move to that place and start and start working from that place, that will always, that's what's meant to be in the driver's seat. Um, so then you become, you are no longer necessarily going to depend on strong medications and things to, to make drastic shifts in your body, you will be able to have the opportunity to have a deeper level of healing where that strength and that power is manifested through your body. And I truly believe that. And I've seen that in my personal life and I've seen it in patients that I've treated. Not every patient gets this. See, what I'm talking about with you now is something that I don't talk about every day in clinic. But it's something that drives my the way I practice, and yeah. it's something that drives the way I interact with my patients. Yep, it's in the background. It's it's in the air. It's like a little incense burning. Exactly. Yeah, I love your analogies, man. You got great analogies. So anyway, I just want to make sure that that's clear to the people listening. Is that you always have that? You always have that. That never goes away. It doesn't depend on anything. And once you can start to change your story and make better choices for yourself and believe in yourself and have that passion to, to express yourself and to be the, the fullness of who you are, see, then, then everything else will line up behind that. You're naturally going to want to eat healthy foods. You're naturally going to want to do things that strengthen your body. You're naturally going to gravitate to people and situations that amplify that. And so... You know, that to me is the key. I mean, getting to that point is not necessarily, you know, it's not an instantaneous thing. It's not just like you make a decision and boom. No, in, in, in fact, it would seem there's usually some sort of crisis or crises along that path that bring us back to that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be something painful or or debilitating or heartbreaking you know a crisis can also be you, you know even getting married for instance is considered one of the top stressors right getting married buying a home and then also getting divorced and losing your home they're like right next to each other on the sca on the stress scale right so right. you just have to make in my opinion you just have to make a commitment to yourself first that you're going to be kind to yourself take care of yourself and really seek to express yourself. From there, it starts to funnel out. And trust me, it's a hormonal phenomenon in your body when you start to do that. And, it, and again, your body knows how to balance your hormones. 
your body, it's so insanely complicated for us to try to understand it, but your body totally understands it. That's the key to keep in mind. Right. Your body isn't broken. It's not like something is wrong. It's not like you don't have the hormones. But, you know, it's, it's more about getting into a pattern and a lifestyle and a way of living that it's going to clear the signal so that your body can have clear signals going that are going to then get that imbalance. Yep. Well, earlier you used the word perception. Yep. And, and I've actually heard some other people say that perception in the endocrinological system, they're actually two sides of a coin. I, I, I just keep hearing that lately. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's, in, the, it's, in, the, it's in the air for me. There's another thing that you just mentioned, and, and then we're going we're gonna to have to wind this down in a moment, but this is such a poignant piece. I see this in my own life, and I see this in my clinic all the time, that when people are a little bit kinder to themselves, lots of things change. Yes. It, it, it's, a, it's an absolute game changer. It's an absolute – it really is, um, in my opinion, it's, it is the foundational shift of healing. Mm. It's the foundational shift of healing that until you learn to be kind to yourself, to be forgiving with yourself, to be merciful with yourself, to be gentle with yourself on an emotional level and a, and a mental level and even a physical level, until you, until you learn that, um, you, your ability to heal is always going to be limited in my opinion wow. uh, certainly you'll be able to you'll be able to feel better on certain levels but to me that and when I, and again healing to me means being whole being in alignment with your purpose and being having a fulfilling life and really knowing who you are being yourself so to speak that's healing and um, everything else will flow from that including physical health and emotional health spiritual health. So it starts with that shift towards kindness towards ourselves. And I know you see this in clinic all the time, and I see it too. People come in and they're just beating themselves up about everything. And you can see, I know I can see, and I think you can probably see how that is such a core issue that is driving their eating habits, is driving how they um, they work and they stay up late at night and they don't get enough sleep. And, and then all these things filter out into their health and their well-being. So that to me that's why the kindness factor is just such a such a key element. It really is. I, I think this is a nice place to wind this down. That's just the perfect ending. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Awesome. I I know I know it wasn't what you were expecting, Michael, but I hope that your listeners enjoyed it. And I know that if you want to do one that's a little more uh, technical in terms of the hormones, we can do that next time. You know, let's, let's consider that as an encore that we could do. I, one of the things I love about doing this podcast, I'll just make this brief and then, then, we'll, then we'll sign off here. One of the things I love about this is I never know where it's going to go. So I always get to learn something new. Yeah, kind of like you said with your patients, right? I never know where it's going to go. People come in and they say, I, I, want, I want X, Y, Z. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And the path that they end up taking to get there is, is always a mystery to me. Yep. Yeah. So, so yep. thank you so much for this conversation today. And thank you, Michael. And I, I look forward to uh, 
connecting with you down the road. you have enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. If so, please take a moment and visit www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com where you can click on the review on iTunes button to rate and review the show. Doing this helps other people to find the show. Also, you can express your appreciation by supporting the show with a donation. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. 